I'm here this morning. Good to be back. We had a wonderful time at polishing the pulpit up in Sevierville, Pigeon Forge area. Uh, we had a little over 5,300 folks who were there this year. Had folks from 14 countries, including the United States, some from as far away as Australia, and so we're thankful for that. People from 46 different states had 700 and some odd lessons during the week. And I did not get to sit in all of them, but I will be listening to them on the thumb drive. And we, we are so thankful that you've allowed us to be a part of that, continue to be a part of that. And we're thankful and we praise God and want Him to have the glory for any good that does come from it. I know that during the week there were at least five who were baptized, who, uh, not only some who were there, but some who watched some of the lessons, or at least one of the lessons online, who uh, came to be Christians because of that. We're, we're just so very thankful to the Lord that these kinds of things are taking place. I'm so excited this morning that I could probably preach for two hours, but I probably won't do that. I'll, I'll assure you that I won't do that this morning. We'll, we'll take our allotted time. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll go there in just a moment. But while you're turning to the book of Deuteronomy... I want you to think about some reasons why you shouldn't listen to a broke, unhappy person. Now, now that's probably two things that you don't want to be unhappy or broke. Uh, but I, I don't want to read through all of these things. You can scan through them. There are folks who are like that who drag you down. You know, you could probably even come up with, with some of your own things that keep you from achieving your dreams. You can go on down through there. You get down to verse number 8, a broke, unhappy person curses. That doesn't mean they necessarily they cuss, but they also, it does mean that they, they try to blame things on other folks. It's someone else's problem that they have put upon them. You know, you, you, you can look at those things and you understand that they are just some folks that, that, you, that, that, that are broken, unhappy, and you don't want to listen to. Well, we're going to find that to be the case when we turn to the pages of the Word of God this morning. There are some folks that, that God doesn't want us to listen to. And, and so as we do that this morning, I want us to, I want us to think about what uh, happens in the book of uh, uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Now, there are some prophets, of course, that, as we'll see from our reading here this morning, that God told the children of Israel that they were not to listen. They, they were not to listen to these. Now, think about what is said in verses 9 through 14. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn, notice that word learn, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations there shall, be, uh, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Think about that for a moment. There were people who actually, among the nations that, that God gave the, the Israelites their land, who would take their infant children and they would offer them as a burnt offering. They would sacrifice them. God tells the children of Israel, you, you're not to learn to do that. I would simply suggest to you that a, a person who learns something is a person who is taught something, and someone who is taught something has to have someone who teaches him to do that. 
uh, keep reading there. Understand that, that they're not to offer their son or their daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a, uh, a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, someone who has um, relationships with those who are dead, or anyone who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. God says there are some folks to which you are not to listen. That's what happened. You know, the children of Israel would eventually learn to do those things. They would take part in it. They would fall prey to, uh, to idolatry and all those things. But, but before they even get into the land, God warns them, don't listen to the people. Don't listen to the prophets. Don't listen to those sorcerers and diviners and all of those kinds of people because they will convince you and they'll make it sound so good that you'll want to participate in all of those things. God says don't do that. On the other hand, God says that he would raise up a prophet for them. Look at verses beginning verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, uh, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when, he, you, uh, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him." Moses said God is going to raise up a prophet. Now when would that be? Would that be immediately after Moses' death? No. We know that God chose Joshua to be the leader after Moses' death. But that prophet that Moses is talking about would come later, many years later, many hundreds of years later. If you remember back in the book of John, chapter 1, verse number 21, people were coming to John the Baptist. And they asked him, they said, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not Elijah. And then they asked another question and they said, are you then that prophet? Which prophet? The prophet that Moses had promised way back there in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 18. And again, John the Baptist said, no, I'm not him, but he's coming. He will be here. And John would have the privilege of introducing the Lamb of God on the very next day according to what John chapter 1 tells us. But again, as we think about that prophet, we're reminded of what is said in the book of Acts chapter 3 at verses 22, 22 and 23. The Bible says there, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. 
Now, in Acts chapter number 3, it sounds a lot like we're reading about what is said here in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 18. And indeed, we do understand that that is the case. And the Bible is telling us here, Peter talking in that place, he says that the Old Testament predicted this, but if you read in the context of Acts chapter 3, who is Peter talking about? Well, he's preaching to them about Jesus. And so Jesus is the prophet. He said, you're to listen to that, to that prophet. And so as we look back, there were some folks that the people were not to listen to. But on the other hand, the Bible says God will raise up a prophet that you are to listen to. You are to remember him and think about what he teaches you. But I want you to look in verses 20 and 21 back there in the book of Deuteronomy. The Bible says, still talking about these prophets. He says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? And then we're going to look in a minute at verse number 22 and we're going to, to understand some things about that. People have come to understand that there are some folks that, as Moses has said, they're not to listen to. They would look forward to the prophet who would come after Moses. There would still be prophets who would lead them astray. And that would raise a question in the mind of these people. How are we going to know the difference? How are we going to know? How may we know something? You know, the Bible says here in verse, uh, verse number 20 that, that if there's a prophet that tells you that you are to do something and, and it's not what I said to do, that prophet is to die. And they want to know, well, how are we going to tell? How can we tell the difference between them? That would raise a question. As you know, we're studying the greatest questions ever asked. And this question this morning that was asked so many hundreds of years ago is still relevant to you and me today. There are people in the religious world who are teaching various things, aren't they? In regard to, uh, say, for instance, the Lord's Supper. Some would teach that we would need to partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Some would teach that, well, it's okay if you partake of the Lord's Supper maybe on the first Sunday of the month. Some would say that, that, that no, you don't need to do that. You can take the Lord's Supper quarterly. And some would say, well, no, you don't have to do that. Maybe you could do it twice a year, perhaps even on, on Christmas and Easter. Or, or some would say that maybe even just do it one time a year. Which one is right? How do we know? Can they all be right? And so, like these people back then, we need to know, how are we going to know which one of these that the Lord has not told us to do? And which one the Lord has indeed told us to do? We can illustrate that in so many different ways this morning. But that is a relevant question. There are so many things that are said in the name of religion that surely we need some guidance, don't we? How may we know the word the Lord has not spoken. What a wonderful, wonderful question. Let me suggest to you this morning that when we look at verse number 22, we're going to find something. Moses tells them, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, 
If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is the word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. You see, in verse number 22, we have what we might call God's infallible rule regarding prophets. He says, just listen to what he says. And when we're thinking about a prophet in that day, we're, we're thinking about a person who would, who would tell something that would come to pass, who, who may foretell the future, if it will. It was the foretelling of God's word. But if what that prophet said didn't happen, God said, you don't need to listen to him. He is a false prophet. He's one that, that you should not pay attention to. And you know what? If we follow that advice, we're always going to be right. When we think about today and modern day prophets, now you may be familiar with a man by the name of William Miller. You may not be. But a long time ago, back in the 1800s as a matter of fact, Mr. Miller said that Jesus was going to return in 1843. Well, 1843 came and went, and guess what? Jesus didn't come back. Well, Mr. Miller, rather than saying, I'm a false prophet, said, you know what? I miscalculated. Rather than being 1843, it's actually going to be on October 22nd, 1844. And you know what? October 22nd, 1844, it came and it went, and guess what? Jesus didn't return. You know what, that would, should be enough to tell us this man doesn't know what he's talking about. This man is not speaking the words of God. This man is not a true prophet. And yet there are thousands in our world today who continue to follow his doctrines. Even Mr. Miller himself had a change of heart. After that, he said there's no way, or he said rather, we expected the second coming of Christ at that time, and now to contend that we were not mistaken is dishonest. I have no confidence in any new theories that grew out of the movement. He had to admit, I'm not telling you right. I cannot even tell you. And yet again, thousands of people follow him even on this very day. This morning we could multiply the numbers of examples like this from false teachers who have led so many astray today. Just in, the, just in the saying of the coming of the Lord, it hasn't been all that long ago that there was a guy in California who predicted the end. And, and, and you know, even uh, some talked about the Mayan calendar in 2012 that the world would come to an end, uh, when in reality they evidently just ran out of space. But as we look at it, we think that we could, we could multiply. And when people say things that, that we can obviously see are not true, we need not listen to that, to that prophet. Now compare that with God's prophets in the Old Testament, in the Bible. Think about them. I mentioned just a little while ago that the children of Israel, when they did come into the promised land, they themselves would, would get steeped in idolatry. They, they themselves would, would become idolatrous people, worshiping idols of various kinds. And so God would become fed up with that. God would say to them that he was going to destroy them, but how, God, are you going to do that? Well, if you have your Bible and you turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, 
the Bible talks about Assyria and how God was going to use them to punish His people. The Bible says, in beginning in verse 5, this, He says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff of the hand, in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send them, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and to seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. When the Assyrians came in the early, or the early 600s B.C., they did just that to the northern kingdom, the northern half of the children of Israel. God used Assyria. Isaiah prophesied Assyria is going to do that. But when we come to the book of Isaiah chapter 10 verse number 12, the Bible says, When the Lord has finished all His work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, He will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. God said, Yes, I'm going to use them. He said that through Isaiah. And then he says, yes, I'm going to punish the Assyrians because they themselves are truly ungodly people. Well, you know what? When Isaiah promised that, did it come to pass that the Assyrians did come and, and, and take the northern kingdom into captivity and uh, never for them to return back to the promised land? Yes. And, and the second question is this, did it happen that the king of, uh, of Assyria, that he got his comeuppance as well. As verse 12 tells us, well, the answer, of course, to that is yes as well. There's a prophecy in 2 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 32 and going through verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. Here's our man again. The concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city of Jerusalem... He's not coming there. That's exactly how it happened. Or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. That's exactly the way it happened. History tells us that. In verses 35 and 36 of that same chapter, the Bible talks about how the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 people in the camp of the Assyrians in a single night. And they had to turn, tuck tail, and run home. The Bible says in verse 36, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. Again, in 2 Kings chapter 19, if we back up to verse number 7, the prophet said, Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. Then he makes another prophecy. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Did it happen? Absolutely. In Isaiah chapter 37, verses 37 and 38, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adremelech and Sherezer, his son, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Asarhaddon, and his son reigned in his place. You know, the prophets of God always told it right. When God put a word in their mouth, it was always correct. 
Not just about the Assyrians, how about the Babylonians? You see, Isaiah uh, talked about, uh, you should put that one in there as well, but uh, Isaiah told, foretold the destruction of Babylon. Who's Babylon? Well, Babylon was the nation uh, who conquered Assyria. Look at Isaiah 13, verse 19. And Babylon, the, king, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans, will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. They're, they're the mightiest army. They take over those mighty Assyrians. They're the mightiest army on the face of the earth. Isaiah 21, verses 1 through 10, prophesy that this mighty army itself would be overtaken by the Medes and the Persians, and it did. But here's what I really want to get to this morning. Isaiah even prophesied about Babylon and how they would be conquered by a king by the name of Cyrus. A king by the name of Cyrus. In the book of Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 7, just notice how it begins. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and loose the belts of kings, to open uh, doors before him that gates may not be closed. You continue reading on there. He talks about Cyrus. Cyrus would be the one who would go out and would lead and would fight. But not only that, Cyrus would be the one who would help to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Isaiah 44, verse 28, Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, She shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. And you know what? History again verifies that all of that had been true. It is true. That is true. Now, having said that, and I didn't read all of those passages, I hope you'll go home and, and read them and consider them and think about them. But when Isaiah was writing that, when he was talking about Cyrus, when he even mentioned the name Cyrus, one of the things that we need to remember is that Cyrus was not born until some 150 years later. God's prophet not only told of the overthrow of Babylon, the rebuilding of the, the wall of Jerusalem that had been taken by the Babylonians, not the Assyrians, but the Babylonians. He says, here's this king. He's going to punish them, but he's also going to help rebuild. And you know what? His name is Cyrus. It's some 150 years before this man is even born that God calls his name and tells us about him. You know, to put that in perspective... It would be like someone in, say, about 1816 saying that sometime in the next 200 years, a man from New York City by the name of Donald J. Trump will be president of the U.S. Think about that. Somebody in 1816 saying that. Folks in, in, in 2016 didn't even believe that. But yet, God said about Cyrus... Things that would happen some 200 years later, 150 years before Cyrus is born, that this king is going to do that and his name will be Cyrus. God's prophets always get it right. 
There are many prophecies in the Old Testament regarding Jesus. I, I could list you this morning. I have 15 written down right here. I don't have time because we're running out of time this morning. But there are some scholars who have said, I said I had 15, but there are some scholars who have said that there are over a thousand Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ minutely to the detail. There's a man, a mathematician, a French mathematician by the name of George Heron, who calculated the odds of one man fulfilling simply 40 of those prophecies are one in 10 to the 157th power. You see, that's one with 157 zeros behind it. Just fulfilling 40 of those prophecies. But there are over a thousand. Another mathematician has calculated that, that thinking about this Jesus, the odds, a man by the name of Peter Ruckman, the odds of uh, of just fulfilling only 60 of them would jump to 1 in 10 to the 895th power. That's 1 with 895 zeros behind it. The odds of winning the Powerball lottery are about 1 in 146,107,962 at any given time. God's prophets have always told the truth. And so His infallible rule that if a prophet says it's going to happen and it doesn't happen, don't listen to him, tells us what not to do. But if the prophet tells it, and it does, it also tells us that we are to listen. But that brings us to the next thing. God has an imperative. There's an E missing on that. God also has an imperative rule for us in the New Testament times. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. Try the spirits, your text may say. See whether they're from God or not. Well, I would ask this morning, how would we test them? How would we try them? How do we know today? What is it that, that, we, that, that, that we have to test them by? Again, Though every other prophecy may fail, every other teaching may fail, God's Word still stands the test of time. It stands the test of time because it never fails and we can always believe it. Part of that is what we were establishing this morning when we were showing what was said in the book of Isaiah and First and Second Kings and those other passages of Scripture to show that we can trust God's Word. Those prophets who were speaking then... Uh, they were right, they were true, they were from God, and they were saying what God said. And if you're taught by any person, what you're taught by any person doesn't come from this book, then what is the conclusion? You better not trust the person or the teaching. That brings us to Acts chapter 17, verse number 11. 
The Bible says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Paul was preaching. They received the word with all eagerness. Notice this next part. Examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You know, the saying used to be that one of the best sounds that a preacher could hear is the audience turning in their Bibles to the pages, to the, to the passages that he has just called out. Now, I know sometimes today that, that, that the, the sound of the pages doesn't happen because we can bring it up on our, on our phone or on our iPad or some of these other things. But you know one of the best things that any person could ever do? is whenever any preacher... Me included. And I beg you to do this. Whenever any preacher preaches from the Word of God, make sure it is from the Word of God. How do you do that? Go to God's Word and look. And if it's not there, you say, that preacher is not telling the truth. Paul would even say in the book of Galatians, chapter 1 at verse number 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached, let him be accursed. You know, there are those in our religious world today who claim that an angel has come to him and, and, and that angel told him to do something that you can't find in the New Testament. And Paul said, you know what, even if somebody claims that, and, and what he says is different than what you have in this book, then you don't listen to him. Let him be accursed. In Jude, verse number 3, there's only one chapter there. Jude writes and says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Once and for all time, the faith, what is the faith that has been delivered? Paul would answer that question for us. In the book of Galatians chapter 1 at verse 23, Paul says, they only were hearing it said, he who used to uh, persecute us is now preaching the faith. Paul said, I preach the faith. Well, Paul, when you were preaching the faith, what were you preaching? Stay in the same chapter, verse number 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we have preached, let him be accursed. When one preaches the faith, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And so... We need to be looking, testing the spirits, if you will, testing the, the prophets, testing the preachers to see if what they're saying, our Bible school teachers, to see if what they're saying comes from this book and agrees with this book. And this book never contradicts itself. It's always correct. You see, God has given us the responsibility to heed only what he has told us, not what men say, but what God Himself says. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. You see, God put the ball in our court. 
I gave you my word. I confirmed my word. You can know my word is true. And now the ball is in your court. Let no one lead you astray. Why? Because I've got something I can check out. I can search. I can understand. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. So that we may no longer do that. Why? The gospel has been given. The word of God has been given. Matthew 7 verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We're to watch out. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. There are folks who are out here who are trying to convince us of doctrines, of teachings, of ways of worshiping, of the means of salvation that that God has laid out in His Word. They're trying to convince us of those things, and God never said them. God never taught them. And just as it was in the Old Testament, when God said about those prophets who were false prophets, who said things that He didn't say, They will die. They will be lost. And we ourselves have the responsibility in and of ourselves to search the Word of God to make sure that we're not caught up with them. I guess in short, we might say it this way. When the question is asked, how may we know what the Lord has not spoken? We can answer it in this way. We can know the words the Lord has not spoken Because we can know the words that He has. The words that are recorded for us in His Bible, His book, His message, His letter to you and to me. How much time do you spend in the Word of God? When you listen to a sermon, no matter where you are, do you spend time searching the Word of God? Or you, do you just take what the preacher says and, and, and just hang on every word and say, hey, that must be the Word of God because the preacher said it. That's not the case. We're under obligation to look here so that we can know what is right, what is true, And we can know the right way, the right way to heaven, the right way to worship a God that we have. What a question that was asked so long ago. Ask, how how are we going to know what the Lord has not said? Today we can know what He has not said because we know what He has. Let's stay in the Word of God. Let's come to understand it. It may be this morning that you know what the Lord says that you are to do in regard to your salvation. You're to hear the Word of God, that you are to believe it with all your heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 6. By repenting of the sins that you have in your life, Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Hebrews, or rather, act, uh, Luke chapter 13 at verse number 3. By making the great confession with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Paul would write in the book of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus would say, the one who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark chapter 16, verse number 16. When we've done that, our life is to be given to Christ. And we're to faithfully serve Him the rest of our days. To look forward to one day going home to be with Him. But even in that, sometimes we fail Him. We turn aside from, from His path and we need to come back. And God makes it clear to us from the book of Acts chapter 8 that one who has become a Christian and who strays away from what is being taught, that he or she can come back through prayer of the church. Acts chapter number 8. A man by the name of Simon asked Peter to pray for him that none of these things would come upon him. It may be today that you need to respond to the gospel. That you need to put your Lord on in baptism or you need to come back to him. We would love to pray with you and for you, assist you in any way. You may just want to know more about what you need to do in order to, to be uh, a Christian. And we would love to show you that from the word of God. That's what we've talked about this morning. If you need to respond in any, for any reason this morning, why don't you come right now as we stand and sing.